This is episode number 234 of the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast. Welcome to Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD, where women who are confused and worried about their type 2 diabetes come to learn strategies to fix it. I'm your host, Dr. Delane Vaughn. Ladies, if you know you are capable of doing badass things at work and for your family, but you're frustrated with why you can't seem to stop eating the chocolate cake, this podcast is for you. Let's talk. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're taking some time for you and for your health today. Today, we are going to discuss emotional eating. I think that this is something that really impacts people. Um, if you, you know, this is the time frame, you know, January, it's January 17th as I record this. This is the time frame of New Year's resolution cycles where we kind of start to fade in our motivation and in our resolutions. And, you know, women are more prone to things like what I call ass grabs or little quits, right? They're kind of similar. And these, unfortunately, are the precursors to a big quit. And so this is the pattern that most of us are familiar with, with resolutions you know, 30% of resolutions are dropped within the first two weeks of the year. So I've certainly seen this at the gym. I've seen less cars in the morning in the parking lot. Like I actually got a front place parking spot earlier this week. And I was like, what has happened to the people? Like, hold on guys, get it together. Right. But the thing that drives these quits are these emotions, right? Like it's too hard. It's so cold. I'm so tired. I'm so bored. I don't have Beyonce's butt already, so why do I keep even coming here? These are all of the things, these emotions that come from those thoughts are what drive us to the big quick, the big abandonment of your resolution, okay? So today we're going to talk about what emotional eating is, what it looks like, and you know how our inability to keep from acting from these emotions or even seeing these emotions for what they are, how the, that inability to understand our emotions is really leading to the big quit of our resolutions. Before we do that though, you know, I want to talk about meds because if you're on medications for your type two diabetes and you learn the skill of not eating junk food, that's awesome. But your meds are probably going to make you sick. Okay. You have been medicated for the way you have eaten in the past. And if you change the way you eat, you're going to need to change your medications. So you need to get on the phone with your provider who gave you that prescription, who gave you those meds. And you need to call them and tell them that you're making changes. And you need to find out how they want you to send your blood sugar logs to them and how they intend to send you information about what meds to come off of. Okay. If you do not have this line of communication open with your primary care provider or with your prescribing provider, if you don't have that line of communication, open, you can get very sick staying on these meds and continuing or in, and changing the way you eat. Okay. So changing the way you eat is the right answer, but you're going to have to have your meds adjusted. So you're going to need to have some guidance from your provider in that. Okay. I also want to offer if you have not already done so, I have help for you. you. There's a 14 days to better blood sugars guide. And I'm going to give you the website here in a minute. I want you to go and download it. It's 14 days. It has um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner meal plans for 14 days. It has the carb count. It has exactly what you need to do. You follow it and you're going to have better blood sugars. In 14 days, it's a pretty powerful guide. In 14 days, you will definitely have better blood sugars. And if you don't, I want you to call me. I want you to set up a call with me and we're going to figure out why. So the website for the guide, 
is https colon forward slash forward slash site. That's S-I-T-E dot delanemd.com forward slash better hyphen blood hyphen sugars. Okay. HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash site delanemd.com forward slash better hyphen blood hyphen sugars. That's going to get you to the guide. If you're on any of my social media, my Instagram or my Facebook, you can also find it in the link tree on those um, profile pages. Okay. You can always email me questions, delane at delanemd.com. So if you have questions about this guide, send me an email. I'm happy to answer any questions. If you want to set up a reverse your diabetes assessment call after you did 14 days of this and you didn't get the results that you were expecting, send me an email, delane at delanemd.com, and I will get you set up. I'll get you on my um, calendar and we will go from there. Lastly, I have an ask. I would like you to rate and review this podcast. If you're finding benefit from it, if you're finding help from it, if you're getting amazing results with it, we need to get the word out to others. Share this with your friends who might find it helpful. If you like it and rate it and review it on your podcast players, that helps the algorithms on the players. Go ahead and put this out to more people. Remember, insulin resistance affects nine out of 10 Americans. So that means most of the people that you know in the world, or a lot of the people that you know in the world, are affected by the same condition. And whether it hasn't led to type 2 diabetes, or you don't know that they're pre-diabetic or diabetic, or whether they have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease instead, or whether they have heart disease that's associated with this, whether they have hypertension that's associated with hyperinsulinemia, whether they have dyslipidemia or high cholesterol related to high insulin levels, whether they have polycystic ovarian syndrome related to high insulin levels. This root cause of your diabetes affects nine out of 10 Americans. Help me get the word out that people don't need to be sick for the rest of their life and that they can live naturally healthy lives. Part of doing that is promoting this podcast, sharing it on your socials, or just simply liking, rating, reviewing on the podcast players. All right, so let's talk about emotional eating. I want to talk about what emotions are and why we do this. So we are emotional beings. Human beings are emotional beings. It is just the way we are hardwired. We are designed to feel all the emotions in order to gain information about what's going on in our environment, in our experience of the world. We are feeling these emotions based on that. So an example of this is if you see a spider scurrying or you see something scurrying in the corner of the room or you feel something or you see something slithering as you're walking on a trail, okay? Your body feels fear immediately. You don't actually verbalize that might be a snake on the trail or that might be a spider in the corner. You don't think that. You don't think, oh, it might be a spider. It seemed big. I should be scared. You don't think that. Your brain doesn't have to verbalize the hardwired knowledge base that it has about things that scurry in the corner or things that slurry on a trail, okay? Your brain conveys or relays that knowledge to your body in the form of a feeling. It's just the way our body, our brains, it's just the way we work, okay? Those feelings then guide an action that you take, okay? This is the mechanics of the thought model that I teach. I talk about the thought model a lot. It is one of the main coaching tools that I use to help my clients. 
This is the mechanics of the thought model, okay? The thought model, we have circumstances that occur in the world. Spiders exist. Snakes exist in the world. We have circumstances, and then our brain has thoughts about the circumstances. Our brain relays these thoughts to our body in the form of feelings, and those feelings drive our actions, and those actions give us the results that we have. This is the job of the brain. The brain is going to think. It is a prediction machine. It's literally what it does. It takes circumstances that we experience and it compares it to previous experiences that we've had in our lives. And then it makes a prediction based on those previous experiences about what's going to happen. Okay. These experiences or these predictions are based on a collection of everything that we've seen in our lives. And then that prediction in the form of a thought is then relayed into our body in the form of a feeling. Okay. The prediction we call it a thought. You're not like, oh, I'm predicting. <laughs> sitting around in the evening. I can't shut my brain down. I'm sitting here predicting all the things. We call it we're thinking. Like I can't stop thinking. That's what we call it, right? We don't use the word prediction, but that's what's happening. Okay. We have these thoughts and those thoughts relay that prediction to our body in the form of a feeling. And then that feeling drives an action and it gives us our results, right? So in the the uh, example of the spider, right? Your eyes pick up something on the ceiling, a scurry, a movement on the ceiling. Your brain says things that scurry on the ceiling. Spiders, spiders scurry on the ceiling. Not a lot of other things scurry on the ceiling, right? Like spiders scurry on the ceiling. Your brain takes what it just experienced and it makes a prediction on it. There's a spider on the ceiling. Spiders are bad. And you have this feeling of afraid, okay? And that feeling then drives an action. So sometimes that action is an inaction. We freeze and we don't move. Like the spider can't see me. It won't attack me or whatever, right? We freeze. But sometimes it's a hyper focus. Suddenly our action becomes we're not focused on our television show anymore. We're focused on the ceiling. Where was it? Where did it go? Did it go somewhere? Is it over there? Is it somewhere else? Do I need to look in the corner? Where is it? We hyper focus on the finding on looking for the spider. Okay. And sometimes it means that we find the spider or in the corner, we see multiple dead spiders, right? And we're like, oh, that's bad news. Okay. But we find evidence that the spiders are there and we have a belief that it's bad. And the fear that we have in our body is so intense that it feels like that's the only thing possible. The, the fear, like something bad is going to happen is the only thing possible. I mean, that's driven by this intensity of this emotion, okay? This is just how the brain works. And even when we can intellectualize out of this emotion, like spiders aren't really that bad. I personally don't know anyone who's died of a spider bite or some spider issue. I don't, I mean, I'm a medical doctor. I believe that people could die from a spider, and I work in ERs and have worked in ERs for a long time, but I've never had somebody coming in dying of a spider bite. So even when I could intellectualize that I've never had any bad experience with the spider, that feeling is so intense that it frequently consumes me. That's just how it works. We get consumed by these feelings based on these predictions, these thoughts that we've had. This is just how it works, okay? The message from our brain is sometimes so intense about what it expects to happen that it is overwhelming to us, okay? So when we apply this to emotional eating, okay, so 
there's a number of things and it usually many, many thoughts and many feelings happen at the same time. Okay. So if you take the circumstance of donuts in the break room, say you walk by the break room and there were donuts there and you see them, that's a circumstance. Everybody else in the office sees donuts too. Like if you're like that table has donuts in it. Yes, that table does have donuts on it. Everybody sees it. So your brain then sets to work predicting about what it knows about donuts. And that's going to sound like thoughts like donuts are so good. They taste so good. They're my favorite. It's been so long. It's January 17th and I haven't had donuts in all this time. I've been so good. Your brain starts to make all these predictions and have all these thoughts. Your brain is taking what it knows about donuts and it's making prediction about predictions about the donuts on the table. Okay. It's so good. It's been so long. I've been so good. They're my favorite. Those are all predictions that your brain is making. Donuts taste good. Your brain is comparing its previous experience with donuts, a previous taste of a donut to this new box of donuts. And it relays that to your body from your brain in the form of a feeling like want or desire. Okay. When your brain has the prediction, they are my favorite. You don't know that. These could be like sour donuts. These could be like donuts made without sugar. <laughs> I hope my mom doesn't hear this, although it's pretty funny and I think she'd laugh. My brother and I used to joke that my mother took all the good tasting things out of the food that she would make because she was trying to make it healthy and she would replace it with sawdust. So maybe these donuts are sawdust donuts and they don't really taste that good, okay? But your brain is applying a prediction that it has from a previous experience about donuts that says donuts are good and they are my favorite, right? And then it moves into this, I'm a grown woman and I should be able to have my favorite things, okay? This is partly driven by your previous experience with donuts that release dopamine into your brain. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that has a feel-good element, but also heavily motivates you to repeat a behavior, okay? Dopamine creates motivation for repeated behaviors. Donuts release dopamine into your brain, and then that dopamine drives you to be motivated the next time you see them. So suddenly your brain starts to make really compelling excuses for why you should be able to have donuts. Donuts are my favorite things and I'm a grown ass woman and I should be able to have my favorite things, okay? Your brain relays this prediction about donuts and you're deserving of donuts as feelings of anticipation and desire and entitlement, okay? When your brain tells you it's been so long, again, this is your brain creating a story, creating an argument for why you should be able to eat them, motivating you to be able to eat them, eat the donuts, right? Your brain applies what it knows about you not having recently indulged in these things for a long time, okay? It takes that prediction and it starts to drive you toward avoiding the discomfort of not getting to feel better with a donut, okay? So your brain's like, I know donuts make me feel better, but they're bad for me. But I've been so good avoiding the feeling better and doing the hard thing of feeling not better, right? Like the understood or implied thing is that you're feeling worse. You've done so good at feeling not good that I think it's time that I should get to feel better. There's an inherent discomfort 
to knowing that you could feel better and withholding that experience, right? And that's what you're doing. You've been so good. You're withholding that experience of feeling better. And your brain brain goes to the prediction that if I don't have it now, I'm going to continue to have to feel uncomfortable. And this is relayed to your body in the form of desire, but also of the of a feeling of urgency. Okay. And then your brain has stories like, I've been so good. Again, your brain's comparing what you've done recently, having avoided the donuts. And then it promotes the prediction that you deserve a reward for doing the thing that's been unpleasant. And it relays this prediction in the form of entitlement and avoidance of the unpleasant. Okay. All of these thoughts, all of these predictions, and all of these feelings drive you to eat the donuts. If you spend enough time feeling these ways, you will eat the donuts, okay? This action is always going to create the result that donuts are so good and they are your favorite and you should not have to go so long without them and you do deserve a treat. These, The eating of the donut is always going to immediately produce evidence of what you believed about them. It's not hard. Donuts taste good. They're loaded with sugar. Your brain feels fabulous on them. It's not hard to produce evidence of those things, okay? We are frequently so unconditioned to feeling the emotions that at the first hint of something unpleasant, we push to avoid it at all costs, so so much that we're unaware that this is even happening. We don't even understand that this is even what's happening. We're just like donuts in the break room, uh, you know, (laughs) Donuts and, you know, candy in the candy jar in the office, uh, eat it. There is this pause, but there's so much chaos within that pause that we don't slow it down to actually see what's happening, okay? So this, my friend, is where you're going to hate what I have to say. (laughs) This is where a plan is so effective. So many women give me such pushback on making a plan, and they feel like it takes a long time, it's constraining, it's constrictive, and What it allows you to do is to hold yourself to an expectation and not talk yourself out of it. That's what feels constrained and constricted, and women don't like that. But making yourself a plan is so effective for emotional eating, okay? It slows you down in order for you to name the emotion, okay? So if you have a food plan and you start looking at your food plan around eating time, So it's 10 o'clock, you walk by the break room, you know lunch is coming up, you've already looked at your food plan and you're like, food plan today is chicken and salad. And you know that that's your food plan, but your brain's like, whoop, donuts. Hey, donuts are in there. You have been so good. Donuts are your favorite. We love them so much. We should be able to do this, right? All of those thoughts are going to come and all the feelings that come with them are going to happen so quickly, so quickly. It's going to feel unhinged, unsteady, a little chaotic, and you're going to feel uncomfortable because your brain suddenly sees the donut and understands that not having the donut is going to be uncomfortable. So all of this happens very quickly, okay? Knowing that you have a plan is a way to pause. Like, no, I've got a plan and my plan doesn't have donuts on it. So yeah, not going to do that. Then your brain is going to start really, really pushing for the donut and making some very compelling reasons 
for why you should be able to have a donut. Because remember, donuts produce dopamine in your brain and dopamine drives motivation. And because donuts are so dopaminergic, meaning that they create so much dopamine because of the high carbohydrate, flour, and sugar, in addition to some of the fats that are used to make donuts, that combination of macronutrients the way it impacts our brain means that it creates a lot of dopamine and you have a very, very heavy, strong motivation to repeat the behavior of eating that food, okay? Making a plan allows you to slow it down and start to name the emotions. I'm feeling desire. I'm feeling anticipation. I'm feeling urges. I feel entitled. Start to name the emotions. Maybe you just feel uncomfortable, right? And then the question is, why am I uncomfortable? That's going to get you below. It's going to get you to these other stories. Like, I feel like I should be able to have a donut. They're my favorite. Today has been so hard. I deserve a reward. All of those things, when you get under the uncomfortable, that's what's going to come up, okay? Most of us only do a good job of naming three to five emotions. That's work that Brene Brown uncovered. Um, where there's, you know, hundreds of emotions that we can have, but we loop them all into a few emotions and we don't really get to the bottom of what they're trying to tell us when we do that, okay? When we slow down and we can feel the intense pressure that drives us to the food, then we can start to figure out what are we telling ourselves about that food, okay? Recognize there are other things that would be enjoyable. Having a drink at work, at lunch would be enjoyable, maybe for some people, not for everybody. But there are all sorts of other things that would be enjoyable that you don't do and you don't believe it's a bunch of crap that you can't do it. There is something you're believing about the food and you're going to have to get to the bottom of that to figure it out. It's not just the, uh, like, I'm not having a feel good moment and that feels uncomfortable. And we're going to talk about what kind of creates us. But recognize like the idea that a donut is there and I could eat the donut and feel better. And because I'm not feeling better, I'm feeling worse. I'm feeling uncomfortable because I know I could feel better and I'm choosing not to do that so it feels worse. There are lots of other things that we could do that would create feeling better that we know not doing that would feel worse. And we're choosing not to do that. We're choosing not to have a drink. We're choosing not to blow off work and go and hang out with our loved ones. We're choosing not to do all sorts of things that would feel better. And by in turn, that means we're choosing not to feel better and that feels a little worse. But there is something that you believe about the food that makes you think that you should be able to do that where you're not thinking you should be able to do the other things, okay? So that is what slowing down and naming your emotions and getting clear and figuring out why you have these beliefs. What what belief, what thought, what prediction are you having that's driving that emotion? So my, most of this food business, this emotional eating is really driven by unhealthy habit loops, okay? When we have this intense pressure to eat the food, it is, you know, happening with this dopaminergic food, this highly, you know, heavily dopamine producing foods, okay? And it leads to these habit loops. So habit loops are our body's way, our brain's way of becoming efficient in things that we do regularly, okay? What habit loops look like is you have a trigger and that trigger keys a behavior and that behavior keys a reward. And then you have this loop, like you'll repeat it, okay? It used to be at some point in your life and at some point in human existence 
there was a trigger and that trigger was hunger. Maybe this happened when you were five. Like, I'm hungry. What's there to eat? And you would have the trigger. You would have the behavior of eating. And that eating would produce a little bit of dopamine, which was your reward. So the trigger was hunger. The behavior was eating. And the reward was the dopamine that's released. But at some point, your brain realizes like, oh, I feel good when I eat. So if I don't want to feel bad, I can just eat and then I get to feel good. Okay. So the bad feeling then becomes the trigger. And then the eating the food becomes a behavior and the dopamine release becomes your reward. This is emotional eating. Voila. <laughs> that is emotional eating right there. That's how it was created. Then, of course, we become reliant on using this particular skill set to manage our emotions, okay? Because the food is so readily available, unlike in pre-modern times, we start to really hone and develop and practice the skill of feeling better by eating foods, okay? It becomes the only skill we develop or, manage, or practice in order to manage our emotions, and this cues in diabetes, when we decide that we are going to use food to create feeling better, and that's the primary tool that we're going to use to manage our emotions, you are going to inevitably lead to some health consequence. It's the same thing for smoking. It's the same thing for alcohol. It's the same thing for cocaine. It's the same thing for heroin. Can some people take narcotic pain pills just for pain and they don't use it to manage their emotions? Yep. And those people don't have a problem with narcotic pain med use, right? That's heroin, right? Can some people do, I have no idea who these people are. This is not something that I've ever indulged in. But some people can use cocaine only socially. They don't have a problem with it because they're not using it. It's not the only skill set they've developed to manage their emotions. Some people can do this with alcohol. I'm one of those people. Like I don't like the way alcohol shows up in my life, not because I am – maybe it has shown up in ways that I don't like, but it's certain like and, – and because I'm managing emotions, maybe I have certainly managed emotions with alcohol in the past, but I'm not taking big risks to do that. And also I've seen that and been able to be like, I don't like the way that shows up in my life. I'm going to go ahead and take a step back from that. Some people have that ability with alcohol to do it. Other people, alcohol becomes the primary way that they manage their emotions and they have a problem, right? Like it leads to health problems, right? That's what I'm talking about. Same thing with cigarettes. Some people can just have a cigarette socially. Other people, it becomes the primary way that they manage their emotions and it leads to health problems. If you have type 2 diabetes, please hear me. You are likely... I would say 99.99%, I feel strongly, I feel strong, I feel 99.99% sure that you, if you have type 2 diabetes, are managing your emotions with food. Because if you weren't, you would just stop eating the food that's making you sick. Okay? So this is the underlying root cause of type 2 diabetes is really this emotional component. Now, yes, it's hyperinsulinemia and we have to fix that. But again, if you know that chocolate cake is a problem and you continue to eat it, if you know donuts are a problem in the break room and you continue to eat them even though you know it's a problem, it is from this um, trigger behavior reward 
place. Okay. This is kind of at the heart of addiction medicine. Okay. If you just didn't know chocolate cake was an issue and you see, oh, that's a problem now. And you don't like have any problem stopping it. That's not the same. You just fix your diabetes. Boom and boom done. Okay. But this is what you know, is at the heart of this emotional eating. Many people will think like, I don't emotionally eat. I don't, that's not what I do. And I get really emotional. I just stop eating and I don't eat. Okay. And that's maybe true. I believe that. But if you're running around with type two diabetes, even if when you get emotional, you don't eat, there is some other emotion that is driving that eating. If not, you wouldn't be doing it. So how you're going to know, like, again, people are like, I don't emotionally eat. And I'm like, cool then stop eating that food. That's how you're going to know. Don't eat it. For today, don't hit the candy jar at the office. Don't eat the donuts in the break room. Don't, um, instead of, you know, going for pizza after work, do the roasted chicken and veggies that you'd plan for, even though it's kind of hard and a pain in the butt because now you got to cook when you get home. See what comes up. If you're miserable at the end of the day, frustrated, feeling exhausted and totally cashed out, you emotionally eat. And that's how you were avoiding those emotions all of the other days was because you were eating the foods. Okay. This is how to determine what emotions are driving you to eat. Is it overwhelm? Is it frustration? Is it, you know, anxiety, worry? It may not always be like sadness. It may be something else. Okay. But this is how you determine a different way of dealing with those emotions. So if you know you emotionally eat, or if you're not sure that you emotionally eat, but you have type 2 diabetes and you're listening to this podcast, I want you to start making plans. Maybe you feel like you can't make a plan every day, then I want you to start committing to making a plan four days a week, five days a week, up to six days a week, up to seven days a week. Make a plan. So what that means is the day before, before you go to bed tonight on Wednesday evening, before you go to bed, you jot down on a piece of paper what you're going to eat. Maybe you put it in your phone and your notes. Maybe you put it on a notepad. Maybe you have a sticky note, whatever it is. You jot down what you intend to eat for Thursday. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whatever that might look like. You just jot it down. You make a plan. A good plan is something you're going to follow. So if you're in a big hurry and you just want to get to bed and you're like, I don't know, I'll eat carrots, blah. Chances are really good you're not going to follow that plan tomorrow. So make it a plan that you're like, you know what? I like salmon and salad. I think I'll probably follow that. I'll do that. If you don't like, I don't know, if you find that you're not going to be satisfied with salmon and salad, like I know it's good for me and it tastes good. And I mean, it makes me feel full, but I'm going to want a little something extra. Figure out what that's going to be. Maybe it's going to be an apple. Maybe it's going to be some berries. Maybe it's going to be um, some cashews. Figure out something that you believe is extra special, that is a little something extra at the end of your meal that you can have, okay? If at some point that is the problem child to all of your eating habits, then we can fix that later. The point here is that you're making a plan, a plan that you believe is healthy and going to move you towards your, your health goals and that you're following that. So you make it the night before, you write it down, and then the day of, so tomorrow, Thursday, you follow the plan. You just do it. No matter what, this is the key. This is the part that is the money. You do it no matter what, even if you don't feel like it, especially when you don't feel like it, 
even when your brain's like anything else sounds good. And I will offer to you, if you did this with junk food, if you were like, man, I'm gonna make a plan ahead of time. Tomorrow it's pizza. I'm eating all the pizza I want. That's the plan. When tomorrow comes around, your brain's gonna be like, I think you'd rather have burgers. This is just how our brain is. Nothing's gone wrong. Nothing is wrong with your plan, except pizza will cause diabetes <laughs> as well burgers. But when your brain is like, salmon and salad, Ugh, I just don't want it. Nothing has gone wrong. This is just the way the brain works. We do it anyway. That is the gift of the plan. And then you see what feelings come up. Is it boredom? Big one, huge. Is it, I watch everybody else eat stuff and I don't get to do it and that's crap. This entitlement, I should be able to eat what they do, right? Is it desire? This just doesn't taste good. I'd so much rather, I'd really like to have some chocolate. Chocolate's the best. I love it so much. Is it desire that drives you to not stick to your plan? Those are the feelings that are the emotions that are driving emotional eating that are making you sick, okay? That's what it comes down to. So I want you to see how this works. And I want you to share your results with me. Seriously, like do it for three days. Find out what emotions come up. Send me a message, delane at delanemd.com. Tell me how horrible it is. Tell me what you're uncovering. Tell me what you're realizing about yourself. If you find that you cannot follow your plan or you cannot follow it enough to fix your type 2 diabetes, I want you to reach out to me for an assessment call. Use the same address, delane at delanemd.com. It's a reverse your diabetes assessment call. We figure out where your obstacles are. You get some clarity. You get some idea of how to move forward. Okay. It's also how you can find out about working with me if that's something you're interested in. If you're interested in, you know, it's the beginning of January, it's January 17th, and you're like, I haven't been able to do it. Awesome. We'll figure something out on that assessment call. There is help for you. There is a program for you that will walk you through doing it. Okay. So you can always use that email address, delane at delanemd.com to get that help. I will be back next week. But until then, I want you to keep listening. I want you to keep avoiding foods that make you sick. And I want you to keep making decisions and choices for your health and your longevity. I'll talk to you then. Bye.